Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Tuesday, December the 12th, and we are rolling live on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin, rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Join us there if you're anywhere else. That's where we're at, and that's where the chat is going on. I just had to tell uh, Joe Dirt that he has to uh, lock his doors and drop his drawers. He's giving me a hard time for being on time today. I don't know what that's all about. Folks, today was one of those days when we woke up in the morning, we looked out, and we went, what the hell's going on? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, of course, I know what's going on. There's a war. There's a war going on in this country right now, and the war is for your speech and for your thought. It's been going on for, for months. It's been going on for a couple of years, actually. And one of the things that's most troubling about it is that it is actually getting kinetic, and it's going after places like Rumble. We're going to talk about what was going on yesterday, what may happen even today, because it looked like it was already having some issues. And we're going to get into sort of the denial of service, what that means, why the left has decided that they are not interested in free speech. I think it's worth noting they've changed the terms. We're going to discuss that in a little bit. We're also going to talk about uh, what's going on with this Trump indictment. There's been a movement on it, taking it up to the Supreme Court. What it means, we're going to revisit. We're going to revisit the indictment. Because every time I read it, it makes me just shake my head and just go, what in the actual hell is going on in this country? So we're going to cover that down. And uh, we'll give you a little bonus, uh, a little sneak peek on something that we read in the loop yesterday with a little bit further information that's always interesting. The way that uh, even people that tend to be on our side cover stories makes me interested. And when people leave things out of stories, I think it's also interesting. So we're going to talk about what is being said and what is not being said in some of these stories that are going on uh, related to attacks on Catholic churches or churches in general, face act violations and so on. So stick around for all of that stuff. Let's get started off. Uh, there was a very vigorous discussion going on in our chat before we started rolling about water purification, which is to say people are concerned, I think, many of you that are out there are interested. What happens if everything stops working? What if it just stops working when you turn on the tap, when you go to the electrical switch, when you go to the to the store and the, and the food is all sold out? So let's bring up one of our sponsors here. This is an option to hedge against the uncertainties that are out there for patriots.com slash Kyle. That's using my promo code, K-Y-L-E. You can always go and do that instead. But uh, for patriots.com slash Kyle, let's check out water purification. You guys are worried about it. There's a couple things you can do. Number one, you can carry water around with you. They've got pouches, emergency water. Uh, that may be a, a short-term solution to be able to get a case of potable water that you can move around. It's not the easiest thing to do. The better thing is have some kind of a filtration system so you can take water from any number of places. And I also would say do some uh, do some double, double uh, service on this. You should have yourself a little bit of bleach. A little bit of iodine, a little bit of ways to take water from, you know, if you didn't have any other options. We used to filter it in survival school through a, a sock in a canteen just to keep the sediment out. Then you throw your iodine in there. Then you drink whatever horrible stuff you've got in and you'll live. And, uh, you know, it's an option. If you want to have better tasting water, you can always go and check out one of these types of water filtration systems. I have one very similar to this. We bought it before I started up with uh, Four Patriots. But uh, I've got one that does the same thing. It's basically a charcoal filter. As long as it filters out all of the sediment and the dye, that's what you want to see. If you want to put like a little bit of red food coloring in there, you should be able to run it through the filter and come out the other end of it without that stuff coming through. And uh, you'll know that you've got something that is doing its job. Yeah, there's some other independent things, but uh, the EPA has been starting to crack down on water filtration. So, folks, if you don't have it and our government tells you you can't have it, usually tells me that we should have it. There's a lot of things like that. Crypto is one of those things that I'm kind of on the fence about. Um, same sort of deal. 
where they're telling you they want to regulate. Anytime the government gets involved, I'm kind of like, whatever, I'm going to set my my um, my watch to the opposite. <laughs> and then when a bunch of people that are in a cult go against it, then I also go like, ah, oh, now, now I'm, once again, I don't like it. If you try to force me to think anything, you guys will find out that you are going in the wrong direction. So some of you have found that out as you've tried to tell me what I need to think. Um, anybody that pushes me, <laughs> whether it be my wife Daily. or my kids or, or Ryan Matta, who constantly is trying to tell me certain things, I'll be like, what's your angle here, bro? Uh, even people I like. <laughs> so all my friends know this about me. I'm just a, a noted contrarian. And I actually encourage all of you to do the same thing. Not so much that you're a contrarian, but that you're a skeptic. You should look at all of the things. Even what I tell you, as like a little bit of skepticism, you should be in evaluating it and thinking, what's the angle here? Why is he telling you this? In my case, I just like talking to you all. So that's part of it. All right, let's launch into our stories because it is, it is denial of service day. Yesterday, today, it's been going on and on. We're going to bring up an article here from the Post Millennial covering it. Their format may be awful if you guys ever go to their webpage. It's our least favorite webpage to screenshot. Horrible. It's just constantly covered with advertisements in every direction, and they pop up when you're not ready. But um, the story is worth reporting on here. This particular story, I don't know if this was written by Andy. It doesn't even say. It's just attributed to the staff over there. Rumble under attack. The CEO confirms an unprecedented attack on free speech platforms and servers, suspects a political motive. Uh, subtitled, I suspect it's political, says Chris Pavlovsky. So Chris, who I met at Miralago, and is a very nice guy, he's pretty pretty soft-spoken for a dude who runs a tech platform like this, and he's pretty mellow, and uh, he seemed almost nervous talking to people there at Miralago, which is always, actually, I think it's kind of refreshing to see people that are not polished and always ready to talk. Uh, for a guy that's out there doing this sort of work. But we've invited him on the show. Hopefully he'll come on and join us on the Kyle Serafin Show and talk about some of the dangers that are going on, some of the uh, the attacks that are happening on this platform. But the question is, is why is Rumble right now a target? It's much, much smaller than the other platforms, okay? But you don't see the denial of service. Maybe it's because of the distribution and they have a, a bigger and more robust network. But I don't see the concerted attacks happening on other places the way that they've decided to come after Rumble specifically. And maybe that has to do with who is broadcasting on Rumble. We talked about it yesterday that uh, we had Steven Crowder. I actually tweeted about this. Steven Crowder had Alex Jones on. It's not the first time that they had Alex Jones on the program, but it is the first time since he was brought back on Twitter. And that represents a fundamental threat. For some reason, the leftists don't want to engage people who have different opinions and different ideas. <laughs> they don't want to engage them in the place where that they're at. Uh, I just think I, I saw like a like a silly satirical quote that said, if only we could just have a safe place on Twitter for all the leftists to sit and maybe it could be moderated by the ADL. And then maybe we could just let, uh, I don't know, Disney, maybe Disney could be an advertiser there, something like that. It's it's very strange to watch them. The, the party that used to champion and fight on behalf of free speech, that used to actually be the conservative thing. Like, hey, you're kind of gross. We don't want you out there talking. Um, you had conservatives that were pushing back against free speech. Now we've sort of flipped the roles on that. And I think that conservatives have opened up and warmed up to the idea that robust discussion and debate has to be done in order to preserve freedom. And I think the people on the political left have decided that any kind of discussion of their ideas is going to expose how crappy their ideas are. Uh, it goes back to something that Ronald Reagan said, not the way that the, uh, the education secretary misquoted him the other day talking about how people are here from the government and they're here to help you. But something that Reagan actually said, he said the problem with the people, he calls them liberals, but I think now they're more accurately called leftists. The people that are that are actually in that leftist ideology, it's not that uh, they don't know anything. It's that the things that they know are not true. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. 
But it seems very true that the folks who, who seem to be the most willing to engage with you are the ones who know things that are false. It's they have they have inaccurate information and they will continually push back at it. I find this all the time whenever I try to engage these folks on social media platforms. It's kind of fun for me. Like you guys may know, like I'm I'm like there's a type of horse. When you when you bet on horses, one of them's called a mutter, and that's that's the one that like runs best in the crappiest conditions. They're just like sort of brute strength, but none of the skill or for the finesse. That's kind of where I live. Like I want to get down in the mud and just like roll around with these idiots, and I find it very amusing. It's kind of like a brawler type of thing when it comes to the the verbal or the um, the rhetorical discussions. I'm more than happy to engage there because they don't know anything, and the things that they do know are wrong. And it's very fun to point it out, and they're almost always intrinsically disagreeing with themselves. If you hold all these weird strong positions and you don't have the background to actually flesh them out against your other weird positions, like most of the stuff on the political left actually tends up disagreeing with things on the political left. That's what we keep finding. All right, in any case, uh, Chris Pavlovsky uh, says once again that these things, were, they were trying to censor Rumble. That's his belief that uh, they have been willing to do all kinds of interesting things like host debates for the GOP. They've been willing to do things like host footage for the January 6th Capitol riot. So it is his belief that some of these decisions by Rumble to just lay it out there and let the public make their decisions is, in fact, the uh, the real problem for these folks. And that's why. And Rumble is just small enough. It's still nascent enough that they can attack it. You had a bunch of different content creators yesterday that were saying that they were unable to go live. Uh, I think we came out right at the end of it. We were rolling down the show and it popped out like we basically cut the feed and it basically went down. The entire site did. Um, I was talking to Dan Bongino's producer. And of course he said, classic, right? When we're about to go live, that's when it goes down. So folks, we're going to work on some redundancy here. We talked about redundancy for water. <laughs> you got to have redundancy for the stream. We always have redundancy on Twitter. So you guys can go there and they seem to have a pretty durable platform. The size and the reach seems to be pretty good. So you guys can always go to our Twitter account. That's at Kyle Serafin, at Kyle Serafin and, uh, and check that out. But the real question to me was sort of this. It's like, how did this movement happen? And and usually when it happens with people on the political left, they're not actually, they're saying the same words, but they're not talking about the same thing. So I went to a PBS article here. This goes back to the beginning of this year, but I think it's actually, I think it's kind of illuminating. So let's talk about this. First of all, let's look at this. If you're looking on our Rumble channel, what you are seeing is the quote unquote banned book section with caution tape up. It's a really nice visual talking about things that are dangerous to read. Now they've got Catcher in the Rye and Lord of the Flies, which I think are outstanding literature, 1984. I'm just looking at this, this little display, but then they have the color purple and they have Beloved and they have a couple of others. Um, the Hate That You Give is on there, which looks pretty lefty just based on the color of the uh, the cover. I haven't even read these books. And and when you when you consider the fact that the political left is also crying about experts saying attacks on free speech are rising across the United States. This is PBS. If you ever want to know how the world is not, I encourage you to watch PBS, the news hour, and definitely turn on NPR. I've got an FBI agent who's a friend of mine who um, is a actual American, a regular person, and he will regularly update me with his uh, NPR listenings. If you were to go and drive across the country and turn on NPR, all of the local affiliates have some of the weirdest takes on the way the world exists, and, and they're basically the opposite of what goes on. If you were to take the statistics from listening to NPR story coverage and apply them across the population, you would assume that about 
48 to 64% of the population are transgender because obviously that's the biggest thing that's going on. That's what they cover long form all the time. And they're not just happening in the United States. There's actually transgender people that are being discriminated against in Kenya, even though apparently they're the majority of the population. And so you just listen to these things, NPR, PBS, and you realize it's all insanity. They're not talking about the same things. They don't live in reality. However, this particular article was of note to me because it says, um, all right, Washington State lawmakers proposed a hotline so the government could track offensively biased statements. That seems like a violation of the First Amendment, as well as hate crimes. I'm, uh, I have a major issue, actually. I've always had an issue with the idea of hate crimes. I think that trying to ascribe certain animus and making them worse because they're they're based on, like, does it matter if somebody really loves you, but then they still embezzle all of your money? Or if they uh, they dislike you and they decided to do it because you're Jewish or you're black or you're Catholic, that doesn't seem to make any bit of sense to me that the reason, the motivation should actually add something to it. But that's uh, that's our, our current system. Um, it says in Florida, we've got uh, we've got other lives that, are, lives that are going on or rather other fights that are going on where bloggers are trying to uh, stop the state from making them register. I think that's actually a really bad idea. And then meanwhile, here's where they really got down to it. There are bans on books. And there are performances, drag performances, that continue to grow increasingly nationwide. So the ban on books and the drag performances is where they've honed in on it, okay? They're honing in on the things that are most valuable to them. So when they say free speech, what they don't mean is robust political discussions and the ability for us to engage in a push back and forth on ideas and policy and whether or not these are the correct solutions that make America the best place to live. That's not what they're talking about. Not even a little bit. What they're saying is, if you don't want to celebrate the things that I celebrate, and if you're not willing to say that my drag performance is free speech, and not only is it free speech, but you must show it to children, your children, that's the thing that they're crying about. And if you don't need to push um, these these, uh, sort of books in schools specifically, if we don't need to push books that have pornographic imagery to little kids, if you're not gonna help indoctrinate your kids into their radical ideology, then you're not a fan of free speech. That's not what free speech means. No one says free speech means you must listen to them. It just means you have to be given a platform. You must be given an opportunity and the government can't get involved. If a private industry wants to be involved, so be it. This is the real issue with the Twitter files, folks. This is why it was always an issue. It was never an issue that a private platform, whether it be a Google or a Facebook or a uh, Twitter or a YouTube, was involved in censorship. That's actually totally fine in most ways. The problem is that the government was encouraging it and subsidizing it and that the government is a big client there. This has always been the issue. The First Amendment doesn't protect you from bad ideas or consequences thereof. It just says the government can't get involved. That's the major part. And for whatever reason, when the left starts conflating it, that you must celebrate whatever their crap ideas are, and they want to censor you, it's because they're not using the words free speech in the same way. They want you to affirm their radical ideology. And you might just be wanting to say like, hey, I don't want to, and I want to disagree with you, and I want to have my own speech on it. I want to just have an opinion. Have your drag show. I don't think kids should go to it. We should protect children. We should look out for the future. And we should be able to robustly disagree with you. Enjoy whatever it is you have. The consequences may be whatever they are.
That's not where it is. So there, there's this this really fun thing where this guy, what's his name, um, Joe Cohen, he's a legislative and policy director for the Foundation of Individual Rights and Expression, um, known as FIRE. Now, I've seen stuff FIRE has done. I was actually at a free speech conference, a libertarian conference in Memphis this year. And the people from FIRE, they sponsored people like Matt Taibbi, so like kind of classical liberals. Um, his statement is that uh, we're seeing a wave of bills targeting drag performances where simply being gender nonconforming is enough to trigger a penalty. I don't actually think that's the case. I think they're mistaken. And FIRE does a lot of good work, which is why this country can be great. We don't have to agree with everything that our friends or even our allies say. You can tell me that crypto is the only way, and I can disagree with you, and we can have a friendship that continues. We don't have to agree with each other. That's the brilliance. That was always the brilliance of this system. And the best ideas went out. And if it turns out that crypto is the only money in the future and I have none of it, then that's my own problem. That's the way it's supposed to work. Unfortunately, what they're acting like is that drag performances are being uh, targeted, that these people with the gender non-conforming things, that these waves of things, pulling them out of public schools and libraries is a very different animal than saying that you're being punished and that there is a penalty. Nobody said that you get to be a victor in the public circle if your ideas are roundly rejected by the majority of people in the public circle. But I don't think you should be punished for it. Very interesting to see that. Um, like I say, I think they're talking about different things. They are talking past each other. And so the idea that we were going to protect people for their political ideas, that's not to say, that's not to say that we didn't actually have these problems historically because we totally did. And the FBI was totally involved in it. For those of you who have ever listened to me talk all the way back, people tell me like, oh, well, what, when did this go wrong? They say, when did this all go sideways for the for the FBI? And it's like, well, it's always been there as an undercurrent. As early as 1917, as early as 1919, there were raids against so-called communists. There was a red scare with the McCarthyists where they were going after people, socialists and workers, organizers. They went after people in the civil rights movement. Like, those are all evil. There's always been an undercurrent of our federal government getting involved and violating the First Amendment. The question is, is whether or not one major political party gets in and goes, yeah, and, and they're correct. And I think historically, conservatives, lowercase c, were probably on the wrong side of some of that because they're not a big fan. Like, how many of you are big fans of commies? Like, it's, it's a pejorative in our circles. So we have to be aware that we need to have robust discussion. And that includes people telling you their worst and stupidest ideas without you getting violently angry. You just agree to disagree. If you can agree to disagree, then you can actually roll this thing back 20 plus years the way that it used to be done, which is that we used to just not always agree on everything and we could still be friends. I don't know. Uh, that was sort of the spirit of the way I grew up with uh, 80s sportsmanship. It's like somebody wins, someone loses, everybody goes home, everybody gets a, a Coke at the at the thing. America, what is the thing? The concession stand, that's what I'm looking for. Let's keep pressing on to this because it's not it's not a fun or a fair fight at this point. Uh, before we go there, let's, let's bring on one of our other sponsors. Let's do... Um, Let's do Patriot Coolers since I'm sitting here and I need some coffee. Uh, Patriot Coolers, folks, you guys know how to go to their website at patriotcoolers.com, our OG sponsor. Talk about uh, durable products that are going to survive. These are all like survival type things. Everything I do is sort of like outdoors oriented. It looks like they actually just sold out of one of their smaller coolers, which looks very, very functional. Uh, 50 quart rotomolded cooler. Those are the ones that I keep in the car. That's what I keep in the truck. I also have one of the uh, soft packs over there, the 24 can. The 24 can, by the way, folks, is not just a 24 can. It's also a 17 bottle if you want to stuff it full of beers. Uh, I don't drink very much beer, but when I do, I stuff 17 bottles into my 24 can soft pack cooler. It says Patriot on it. It's durable. It's got the, those, the, those very cool sort of zipper, what do they call them, a radio welded 
zippers. I'm a big fan of those too. And I like things that are that are box stitched like that. It's, it's made really well. It handles really well. It does what it needs That's to sharp. do. That's sharp. And it's light. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever done stitching before, Ryan? Have you ever stitched any of the uh, like nylon like that? Absolutely. Yeah, all my products were similar stitching like that. That's a really nice zipper. I mean, that's top of the line right there. It's it pulls really nicely too. <laughs> I get nerdy about certain things and then I then I want to put wax on there or I put like a petroleum which helps seal it, but it also makes it like real smooth. <laughs> do you guys do this? Tell stuff? us about this jelly. Dude, no, I'm, no, tell I'm, us. I gotta I'm, know. <laughs> I'm I'm so nerdy about this kind of thing. If you put a petroleum-based jelly on these things, and sometimes they'll actually even give them to you. Uh, I don't know if it came with the Patreon or if I just had some from extra, but you literally can put it on the zipper and it makes it lubricate, but it also gives it those the places between the zipper teeth, it makes them sort of waterproof with the uh with the petroleum anyway um wow where do you get the petroleum at? is that something you can get on amazon no, you, yeah you could just do like any petroleum jelly like a vaseline or a, or a, a generic i heard of that highly recommend doing that to all your uh, radio welded zippers if you want to keep water out of your life <laughs> folks patriotcoolers.com promo code kyle k-y-l-e it saves you 10 percent, and uh, you get free shipping over 50 bucks i get nerded out about weird things like that i really do though that's like like a good zipper makes me very happy. Like if I have a jacket with a bad zipper, it's gone. Like I'm I'm done with it. And if it has a if I have a product like that that has a good zipper, I'm like, yeah. I'm I'm into this thing. <laughs> it's so strange. I just blew through like four minds in the chat were just like, what am I even hearing? Like a discussion of petroleum jelly on zippers. This is where we go, folks. This is where the mind goes on a Tuesday morning. I'm just saying, you have to uh you have to know what you're into. And if you're not into your products and your gear, then you're probably gonna have things that are gonna be inferior. Okay, let's get deep into the weirdness. Uh the weirdness is is that there's this sort of power play that's going on right now in the Trump indictment in DC. Now we have to be very, very serious about this because no matter how flippant you wanna be about how absurd uh, Jack Smith is with his bad teeth and his terrible takes and the fact that he is clearly um, politically motivated and just seems to have like a complete hard on to go after this guy, that he is a basically a hitman for the deep state at this point. It's really scary stuff to think that this is, a, this is as, as silly as it should be this is deadly serious, and the odds of Trump not being convicted of these charges is very, very small. We're watching the play out for all the J6ers. It's like they don't have to be serious people to have the wheels of power behind them to do serious things. And so I want to pull up this NBC article. We're going to get into what it is and what, what just happened, sort of the development in this week. It's really troubling to me. Special counsel asked Supreme Court to immediately decide if Trump is immune from J6 prosecution. Okay, in some ways... This is like a calling of the bluff. So Trump's lawyers basically uh, made a motion to dismiss stating that uh, Trump should, in fact, be immune from prosecutions from the time that he was on duty as the president of the United States, which included January 6th of 2021. Right up until the day, the minute that Joe Biden steps in and one guy flies off in Air Force One and it becomes not Air Force One, that's the minute when he no longer has that presidential immunity. There's sort of an argument to be made there. The special counsel um, got the, the lower court to reject that. Shockingly, the anti-Trump judge that is running his case uh, disagreed with the, with the presidential immunity there. But the crazy thing is, is that Jack Smith said, okay, we're going to skip the appeals circuit. We're going to take it directly to the Supreme Court, and we are going to petition the Supreme Court to rule on this. So special counsel Jack Smith on Monday asked the Supreme Court to immediately step in to decide whether former President Donald Trump has immunity from prosecution for his actions for seeking to overturn the 2020 election. I'm going to tell you why I have so many problems with this case. Uh, just as a regular person who reads the law, like I think the minutia of the law is actually, none of these things actually matter all that much. We, we're looking at the law in such a bass-ackwards way. 
and I was on Joe Altman's radio show and his uh, his conservative daily podcast the other day. They had a guy on who was saying everything we do about the law is backwards. What people do, and I think this is worth actually. Let me let me just square up on here. One of the things that goes on right now with the pos- the position of judicial review is they review. You have all these lawyers, and they're all very educated and minutia. And many of them have a very weak grasp of constitutional law, which we continue to find when they go on to be uh, confirmed for, as judges. We're seeing that with almost all the Biden appointees, that they are very, very weak on the foundational nature of this country. But what they do is they learn case law, all the most relevant current everyday case law that's happening right now. And so they understand the things that are going on in their little circle, and it's very, very specific, and it's like a guy that knows only how to repair a certain type of thing. We used to know a guy, he only repaired the HVAC systems on like 1980s Mercedes-Benz. Like, that was his thing. He was a expert in a strange thing that cost a lot of money and nobody else knew how to do, and so the factory would fly him around the country to go do those repairs on those vehicles. That's kind of what we're training our lawyers to be like right now very atomized in their focus. And when they do that, they've forgotten the bigger picture, which is that everything that they are looking at is completely irrelevant if it disagrees with the Constitution, the main overarching principles. And the Constitution is only relevant in the foundation that it was actually set in. And the foundation is British common law and the debates that were going on about the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists and what was going on, what was happening at the time when they wrote those words and what do they mean? What was the purpose of those laws as they came in to govern this country? So much right now is decided on minutia from like silly precedents that are 10 or 15 years old, when in fact we should be looking at 250, 300, and 400 year old principles that everything is actually rooted and grounded in. And we're not doing that. So as we consider this, we're looking at a judge that basically said, yes, um, you know, we, we don't think that the president is immune from any kind of prosecution. Uh, this this is a very old question, by the way. So this one says, uh, this is Jack Smith's people writing in a court filing, said the state, the, the case presents a fundamental question at the heart of our democracy. God, I hate it when they say our democracy. It makes me want to scream. It just tells you that you're a leftist without telling me. Whether a former president is absolutely immune from federal prosecution for crimes committed while in office. Uh, Ryan, can we jump forward a little bit? I want to bring up the actual indictment, which was that we had on topic sure. number five. Let's pull this up. Let's look at what Trump is actually accused of in the District of Columbia. Okay. This is probably the most dangerous indictment that he has simply because um, the district that he's in. Taking this forward in the District of Columbia is inherently dangerous. Count one, 18 USC 371, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Count number two, 18 U.S.C., 1512K, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Count three, 18 U.S.C., 1512, obstruction of and attempting to obstruct obstruct an official proceeding. And the fourth count is 18 U.S.C., 241, conspiracy against rights. Now, conspiracy against rights, that's the one that's the same one that Doug Mackey was involved in. That's the guy who wrote the memes about Hillary Clinton. You guys remember this, that he was in a conspiracy against the rights, even though they couldn't actually prove that anybody was defrauded of their right to vote. That's really weird. Douglas Mackey just had a victory, which we talked about. And Douglas Mackey is going to be on our show in the next week or two, uh, probably next week sometime. We've been talking about it on Twitter. He and I have been DMing back and forth to set up a time for him to come on and talk. I think he's going to come on and do a live show. So if you guys have your questions for Doug Mackey, make sure that you have mentally ready and we can start dropping them into the comments when we do that next week. But here's the thing I want you to look at. Of these four counts, one, two, and four are all conspiracies. Now, we've talked about it on this show before. I've talked about it with Steve Friend. When you use the conspiracy 
as opposed to the actual crime. It means the crime didn't happen. And that, that the idea of planning a crime is what you're going to prove, a crime that didn't happen, fundamentally is kind of an un-American principle. It's thought crime, and it's really, really dangerous stuff. The idea that conspiracy, unless you actually stopped a conspiracy to do something where they were in the process of doing so, we're talking about bringing this indictment many, many months after the fact. All of these actions all happened. He was the president. He was supposedly going to defraud the United States. Their claim is that uh, that Joe Biden won. I think a lot of us have problems with what was going on with that election. And somehow, by Trump sticking around, he was going to defraud the United States. He was going to uh, obstruct an official proceeding. And he was going to conspire against the rights of the people that voted for Joe Biden. And yet, we saw him go on a plane. And he left the White House. So all of this talk, they brought on Cassie Hutchinson as well. And she said, well, he said he was never going to leave. It's like, you know how I know he was going to leave? Because he left. Because it was in the past. Because your conspiracy which was charged, was not interrupted by your charging document. It wasn't interrupted by a criminal complaint. It wasn't interrupted by federal agents who were under power of law going in and removing somebody that refused to do something. It's a conspiracy that expired and never happened. It didn't happen. So how are we going to charge conspiracy for a crime that we know didn't get committed? It's like Ryan and I planning to rob a bank, talking about how fun it would be. We would really like it. We would have all the things. This is what we would do. These are the weapons we would use. This is the car we would drive. And then we were like, yeah, that's a dumb idea. And then we move on. And then someone coming in and charging us for a bank robbery, conspiracy to commit bank robbery, because we talked about the idea. That is fundamentally, in my opinion, that's part of the war on speech. That you can't even discuss what's going on. And this is not even uh, uh, like a crime where uh, a crime of violence or a crime of depriving people of anything. This was a crime, theoretically, of conspiracy against rights, obstruction of official proceeding, and defrauding the United States. This was a crime that was 100% political. It was a politician deciding whether or not he had powers in the political structure to be able to negotiate out some sort of alternative resolution to what we saw as a real problem particularly in an unprecedented time, an unprecedented time of COVID lockdowns and people in massive amounts of fear and media doing all kinds of wild things. And then, of course, as I just mentioned, you go back in there and the government was involved in censoring First Amendment rights and trying to keep people's political opinions out and stopping the debate about what was happening. And we also know that the FBI wasn't investigating the thing that it was supposed to do, which was whether or not, in fact, that election was legit. In all the places that there were uh, attempts to say that there were problems with it, there are people coming forward with affidavits and going on record. You didn't hear it. You didn't hear anybody actually go out and say the FBI has done a conclusive discovery of this. They have gone through and they have investigated all the people involved and there was nothing funny here. There's no funny business. We couldn't have that because they didn't do it. And then we also know that guys like Timothy Tebow, who was the uh, assistant uh, special agent in charge of criminal at the Washington field office where I used to work, he was actively removing people that he thought might be pro-Trump. So what is that about? When you're actively removing people because you think they may hold an alternate political opinion, it's about speech. It's about we can't investigate things and we can't even talk about it because if you talk about it, you're the problem. This is a very leftist totalitarian idea. This is the war on speech. This is shutting down Rumble. So you can't have an Alex Jones. You don't have to like Alex Jones. You don't have to agree with Alex Jones. I happen to think he's hilarious. I happen to find him very amusing. Alex Jones is one of my most amusing people to watch. And he was very fun to be in an interview with. When Alex Jones was coming at me, it was like 
the energy level of Kyle Seraphin coming at me. There are very few people that can match me for energy and for excitement. And he did it. And he did it in a really fun way that was non-offensive. And we only stayed on the subjects. Like most of the time, I would say probably certainly more than 50% of the time, what Alex Jones covers is correct. His take on it may be un unpalatable to you. There's a lot of people that present things that are true that I don't like the way they say it. Donald Trump is one of them. I don't like the way Donald Trump says a lot of things. But it doesn't mean he's wrong. And it doesn't mean he doesn't have a right to say them. Alex Jones being on there is not a reason for you to try to go out and commit federal crimes. And do we see overwhelming responses where uh, you hear the FBI saying we're going to mobilize all of our capabilities to protect free speech in this country? We're going to make sure that this country, uh, this company, which has a bunch of American businesses that are based in on Rumble, the Dan Bongino show, the Steven Crowder show, all the others, are they going to go out there and defend it? Are they going to go out and investigate it or not? Because I think not is what we've seen so far. It's pretty wild. For me, the only supposed real crime that was actually supposedly committed was the obstruction of and the attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And that is pretty weak. That's actually going to be ruled on uh, in a meaningful way, I think in some of the other J6 cases by the Supreme Court as well. So that's wild. Now, here's where it goes back to. I pulled this thing up. When I went looking for the Constitution today, folks, I found, uh, and, and you can bring up the um, the Mississippi v. Johnson piece real quick if you want, Ryan. But I went looking for a copy of the Constitution. I don't have it bookmarked. I always go and just grab it, and it comes out of my normal links. And one of the things I do is I go look for it. And when you do, the sad thing is to find the actual just verbatim text of the Constitution, you actually have to go to the Heritage Foundation to find a really clean one. There are other versions of it out there, but like that's the one that, that pops up in my searches that's easiest. The Constitution annotated is what comes up if you go to constitution.congress.gov. Doesn't it seem like our our federal government should actually have the cleanest copy of the Constitution posted for us when it's the founding document and it is the supreme law of the land? It always has commentary. You can't just get it to like run through and just have it laid out in, in, in long format, like a scroll, which I would prefer. In any case, when you do the annotated version, something pops up that's kind of interesting. So Article 2, Section 3. These are the Article II powers of the executive, specifically talking about the president right now. It says he shall, uh, from time to time, give Congress information, the State of the Union. So it's laying out what he's supposed to do. What is what is the job of the president? And underneath it, annotated, I did actually find something of value here. It says, in 1867, a decision, Mississippi v. Johnson, the Supreme Court established that the president is largely beyond the reach of the judiciary by holding it that the president could not direct Andrew Johnson in how he exercised his purely executive and political powers. Now, that's going to be really important because the decision actually noted there are executive and political powers to being the president of the United States. The court stated that it has, quote, no jurisdiction to enjoin the president in the performance of his official duties. Now, if the president chooses to do something that is outside the range of what people like, it doesn't necessarily matter. And in this case, I went back to the case and kind of gave like a quick summary. The facts are in 1867, Congress passed the Reconstruction Acts. And although President Andrew Johnson vetoed the acts, Congress overrode that veto. So it passed into law. In an attempt to delay or prevent Reconstruction, the state of Mississippi appealed directly to the Supreme Court. Mississippi asked the Supreme Court for an injunction preventing the president from enforcing the acts on the grounds that they were unconstitutional. And the court ruled in a unanimous decision that it held no jurisdiction of a bill to enjoin the president in the performance of his official duties. It could not make him do them, and it couldn't make him not do them. 
That's very interesting. I don't know exactly how that's going to play in in some ways because this was sort of like the uh, the negative and we're now looking at the positive. They're claiming they couldn't force him to do something or they couldn't stop him from doing something that was within his powers. What the what they're actually claiming now, the Jack Smith claim, is essentially that he did something that was outside of his official powers and they're trying to justify that. The question is, is, is the court going to rule on whether or not he had the authority to do the things he did, which was to say that whatever he wanted, that he was going to give a speech, that he was going to have a rally. And then that rally ended up being charged as an obstruction. But you'd have to argue that the president was somehow in control of these people. I think it's going to be really interesting. The uh, The fun thing is, is that if you go to the Daily Wire piece here, which we'll pull up, Ryan, it says Trump camp accuses Jack Smith of election interference over the Supreme Court gambit. It is, in fact, a gamble. It's a real gamble for Jack Smith to send this thing up to the Supreme Court. Now, it's a bold move. Four days after having a, a ruling in his favor, they said, OK, fine, let's take it up there. Let's preemptively solve this problem. Let's put it out in front of the Supreme Court and get this decidedly figured out. Um, there's a couple things that are that uh, the Trump camp is saying. Number one, they're saying that this is an attempt to force a trial date one day before Super Tuesday, which would basically be a real issue for Trump when it comes to um, primaries. They're trying to keep him out of the, the presidential election. Uh, they want to make sure that they keep him as a as a front mind, that he is a guy with a bunch of legal troubles. So they're trying to do that. It hasn't been working so far, as we covered yesterday uh, or the day before. It's like he continues to rise in the polls, even in battleground states, mainly because his opposition is so bad. This is the statement that Trump spokespeople put out, which sounds like Trump may have been uh, sitting there and, and dictating it to him. He says, crooked Joe Biden's henchman, deranged Jack Smith, is so obsessed with interfering with the 2024 presidential election with the goal of preventing President Trump from retaking the Oval Office, as the president is poised to do, that Jack Smith is willing to try a Hail Mary racing to the Supreme Court and attempting to bypass the appellate process. So for you guys to understand what was happening, the idea was is that they were going to make a claim that they didn't think was going to be successful in the lower circuit. They were going to have a long appeal about it, which was going to be decided where they decide the points of law in the appellate process. And then it would eventually probably make it up to the Supreme Court. Jack Smith is attempting to cut that timeline, cut out the middle part, which is the longest piece. For those of you who have never been involved in this kind of litigation, um, we filed our first suit and got our injunction regarding the federal max, uh, VASC, VAX mandate. Rather, We did that in... Shoot, when did we file that? Maybe like October of 2021. And then six months later, we have like a favorable adjudication of it. It was too late for me, but it was good. It works out six months later that a judge actually ruled on it and said, yeah, we've got an injunction. Then it took like the better part of a year to get to one appeals thing. Then you can go from the appeals, you get a single judge. Then you can ask for a three-judge panel. Then you can ask for an end bank review. So there are multiple stages in the federal appeals process for you to get multiple different opinions. And then you theoretically can still appeal to the Supreme Court whether or not they'll take it as another animal. And it may be that one of those appeals actually is where it stands. Whatever the highest level of the appeal is you get to, that's where it stands. And generally speaking, what they do is they rule on a point of order, then they kick it back to the district, and then the district gets to decide. So that's what's going on here. They've actually cut out that middle piece because the Supreme Court said, yeah, we'll take it on. And they said it really quickly. Now, you could read that as um, all the judges think that they're going to solve this problem, and they're going to put Trump, and he's going to have to deal with the uh, the indictment in, in D.C. He's going to have to deal with this trial. Or you can read what they said. Trump's spokesperson said, uh, Jack Smith may need to be reminded that the Supreme Court has not been kind to him, handing down a ruling in a rare unanimous rebuke when the court ruled against him in the 8-0 McDonald's case. Uh, and now McDonald was a Virginia Republican governor. And there was some sort of a question of whether he'd, he'd received some sort of gifts that you know were sort of a bribery and or extortion situation. And the Supreme Court went against 
Jack Smith when he was with the Justice Department working in the Public Integrity Unit, which is to say the public corruption prosecutions. Uh, they, they got slammed down in 2016. So kind of interesting. Now, the uh, the judge that uh, that Trump has in, in D.C., obviously not interested in doing things, doesn't seem fair, has made multiple, multiple statements from the bench that Julie Kelly has colored long form and should basically... She shouldn't probably be involved in this case at all. Uh, her name is Tanya Chudkin. You guys have seen her before, uh, Obama appointee. But like, man, it's interesting. It's an interesting move. So now we're in kind of uncharted waters. But I do think that it's worth noting that a lot of this stuff has to do with whether or not the president was able to even just say things or exercise political power. We're we're going to see something. <laughs> it's going to come up sooner than later. They have until December 20th to figure it out. And then right around the first of the year, right around the anniversary, interesting, uh, interestingly enough, of January 6th, on January 5th, they are going to be uh, supposedly deciding this thing. So it's not going to be some long, long timeline. We'll know in January just how ugly this process might get. And it might be a complete strikeout for this DC indictment. That would be a major, major change. So we'll have to just kind of keep watching it until then. Uh, let's let's talk about some other stuff on the uh, let's let's do a quick uh, promo for my buddy Garrett because he just got back into town. He told me he was buried under orders. You guys did a great job on that. Uh, 18 plus orders behind the, the eight ball. Now, the O'Boyle family sweatshop, you can see it at the dash Today, I'm wearing the last line strength. This is the blue line. I now have it in blue, red and green. And I actually, interestingly enough, kind of fit into all those. Red is generally public safety. That's your EMS fire. So if you have someone like that in your life and you want to get the last line strength, I get compliments every time I wear this shirt. Everywhere I go, people want to come and talk about it, which is kind of nice. Um, the the red line, obviously, like I said, fire EMS. The blue line, law enforcement, probably not as much federal, but yeah, people in federal kind of do the blue. And then the green, generally speaking, military. So you guys can check out this particular shirt if you guys want to do it. You can always pick up the pins or the patches as well, kind of add them in there, make a little package, and then use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, which will save you a 10% off there as well. Um, pretty easy to do, worth your time. Check out the-suspendables.com. It's a pretty good uh, it's a pretty good little stocking stepper if you need to roll up a shirt or maybe some of the pins and you want to hand it to somebody that's a suspendable in your life. Uh, expect that there is a video. Actually, there's a video that is live right now on Garrett O'Boyle's Rumble channel. Maybe Garrett will will uh, throw it out there into the chat. Maybe Garrett will throw it in the chat if he's still hanging out in there. You can see his Rumble video. He just gave a speech in Fargo, North Dakota, talking about what is a suspendable, what is his story. And you guys will like it, I think. It's about 45 minutes of your time. You can take it anytime you like and go check it out on Rumble. I'll make sure I share it on my social media. So make sure you're share, either following me, uh, at Kyle Serafin. I'll put it in the live chat too. Sounds good. Uh, at Kyle Serafin on True Social and on, um, on Twitter. And then GOB Actual on Twitter is where you're going to be able to find Garrett. He's not as easy to find on on uh, True Social. Sorry, True Social is where you can find him. On Twitter, he's actually locked out. Sorry about that, all that. All right. So that being said, let's push forward in some of the other weird things. Ryan alluded to this. <laughs> I just saw this. And you just go like, uh-oh, what's happening? Big things happening over the horizon. No question about it. Warren Buffett selling $28.7 billion in stocks, ringing alarm bell over the economy. I saw that in a, uh, I think it was in the loop initially. And I went like, oh my God, and that's something. <laughs> $28.7 billion is not a small amount of money. $28.7 billion in stock in the first three quarters of 2023 in a move that some economists have interpreted as a ringing alarm bell for the American economy. Now, I always look and see like, what is what, what are the wealthiest people in the world doing and what are they doing with their money? And people have done the same thing. They call him the Oracle of Omaha for a reason. Uh, Warren Buffett has two, the, this, the sad thing is this, Warren Buffett can do two things. 
He can predict markets, but he can also make markets do things simply by the way that he moves around that kind of wealth. And so the question is, he may be the, the greatest investor of all time, but he's now sitting in that sort of big stack poker chip scenario where that gamble that he's playing can also be things that he can bully things into happening. He can make things happen that were not otherwise simply because he chooses to do so and he's ready to make a move that everybody else is going to have to follow suit because he's moving so much money around. $28.7 billion. It's worth keeping an eye on. It says they sold a, a total of $10.4 billion in the first quarter, followed by $13 billion in the next while buying less than five on top of it, and the third quarter selling another $5 billion worth of stock. It's a lot of money, people. It's a lot of money to be moving around by one guy and one company. So worth noting that uh, there's only a couple of possible outcomes. We'll bring somebody on to talk about the, um, the economics of all this stuff at some point soon, because I just think that whatever's happening is going to happen all at once. It's all happening at once because there's a lot of lies. And as long as they can keep you from the from the information, they're going to be able to manipulate you in a big way. In fact, we actually have a video about this. You want to talk about money and you want to talk about power and information. Why don't you play video number one right now? This is kind of like a little little break in the in the in the segment here. It makes me feel kind of good because we have at least we still have speech and that that speech is fighting back. A lot of people, I think, overplayed their hands at the, the sort of influence and the power that they had in 2020. And it went on into 2021. It ended up where we saw my friend Dan Bongino and guys like Tucker Carlson getting canceled off. What we thought were conservative outlets, many of us knew that they weren't for a long time, that they were sort of playing the edge. But um, the pushback is places like Rumble and things like this, which is kind of fun to announce. Let's just push this up. If you didn't see this on Twitter yesterday, this was just announced. Video number one. They told you the guys torching Wendy's in 2020 were mostly peaceful. They said that masks worked. They told you the vax was safe. They've tried to convince you that Russia blew up its own pipeline. The corporate media lied too much, and it killed them. We're driving to see Julian Assange. Believe me when I wait, tell wait, you. Wait, wait, wait. I should be boycotting Bud Light. Fantastic job. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> that was amazing. One of the things I like most about Tucker when I watch him, and I've, I've seen him uh, live a few times, when you watch Tucker talk, it's just coming out of his head. There's no teleprompter. There's no script. He's able to sit up, walk in front of a podium, put his hands in his pocket. He's got a, a can of Skull or something like that or Wintergreen or whatever the hell he's got for dip. And he just walks around and he just dishes information because he's been consuming it voraciously for a long time. He's obviously very, very intelligent and he's able to articulate it in a way that many people cannot. And to us that are listening, you go, one way or another, I think that person is being honest because I think he actually believes what he's saying. You can tell. You can tell by the way he delivers it. And that's coming from someone who basically doesn't trust anybody as a point of fact throughout most of my life. I just look at people, and if you say something, I just go like, mm, okay, I don't believe you. <laughs> it may turn out to be true, but I'm going to basically set my opinion opposite of that. And I rarely do that with things that Tucker says. Not everything. There's certainly things that I will question. It's nice to see just another voice entering the, the fray in a big way because Tucker Carlson is both a big force. He has a certain amount of money behind him, which is not not small. And uh, and he's going head to head with people that have basically lost all their legitimacy. And people are going, where do we listen? You listen to people like Dan, you listen to people like Tucker, and they're the ones that got canceled. And in many ways, whatever happened to them gave them more legitimacy, which is quite funny. I think the same thing has happened when everything is being attacked on a Donald Trump. You just go like all they've done is they've highlighted who their biggest threats are. Whether you, you know, the word deep state, I think is so massively abused. But 
the powers that be, if you will, the, the, the forces in this world that are trying to steer things and think that they can guide the ship humanity to the way that they want onto whatever shore they'd like it to crash on. It's very interesting. It's very interesting to me to see that the, the ones that they have decided to destroy, and Alex Jones is in that category too, and the two of them doing that show together is also worth noting. Uh, Tucker was just, you know, just did a long form with Alex Jones. When you start having these, these forces combine, this is the pushback. That's what resistance looks like, by the way, folks. For all the folks that are the hashtag resistance out there on the political left that have all the means of government and major corporation and the public sentiment and political correctness behind them, like they're not resisting anything. It's you just kind of being yourself in your house, raising your kids the way that you want, trying to keep your money, trying to do the things that you want with your money. Try not to be have anything spoon-fed to you or have the NPR or PBS sort of version of reality where you believe that everybody around every corner is trans, which is a bizarre take based on me being in the world for 42 years. I've just, I don't see it. It's not real. But that's what they'd love to shovel on you, and they'd love to make you think that you are alone. It was the reason why a lot of the COVID stuff was very successful, because everybody started thinking, hey, I'm the only person that's that's not with the program. Maybe I need to get with it. And for all of you suspendables out there, and that's why we have the merch store, and that's why we exist, that's the way that we all looked at it. That's the way that the guys like Garrett Boyle and Steve Friend and myself and George Hill, we all looked at it the same way, and we went, you know what? Um, everybody, when they're in a mass, is generally the correct answer, except when they're wrong, and, and in this case, you're wrong. We're going to stand against the masses. It's very hard. It takes discernment, and it takes a strong will. And many of you guys know it. That's why you're here on the on the show. We do appreciate all of you guys joining us for that. Let's talk about one more story that I think is kind of weird. Uh, I'll cover my sponsor because Catholic Vote is one of our sponsors, and they're fantastic. They are doing the Tournament of Champions, which will kick off again, to, I think, tomorrow. You guys can sign up for the loop, which is great, and it's full of all, all times of uh, great information in there. For whatever reason, when you click on that loop, Ryan, see if they update it. I just emailed them. No, it's still on December. So I told people at Catholic Vote they need to update that particular link. The one that I got on my email is still correct, which I can tell you. There's good stories in there, left and right. There's always good stories, and they're as good a news aggregator or better than anybody else. If you guys get a, like an update from the from the AP, it will not be as diverse and useful to you as far as number of stories and the types of stories that are interesting. There was one in there today about uh, abortion being sort of a, a travel um, requirement that is happening. There's something like a, a whole huge slew of increases in travel-based abortion, which means it's harder for people to get them and they're still getting them. Worth noting, that's a values problem in our society, I think. But catholicvote.org, check them out. Sign up for The Loop. You can always give and support them as they give and support us. You can make a monthly or a one-time donation uh, anytime you guys feel fit. They have a, a 501c3 and a 501c4. I think you can give to either one of them. I'm not 100% sure which one is uh, listed there. That's the C4. So that's the action-oriented one. And they are suing the FBI, which we're thinking about doing here as well. We got some negotiations about a FOIA. More on that tomorrow. Um, but they also covered a story, which we're going to pull from their website. Let's pull up that, uh, that story about the priest that was killed. I, I mentioned it kind of offhandedly yesterday. There was a priest killed in the 100th attack on a Catholic church this year. Uh, a guy, turns out to be like a 43-year-old black man from uh, Sioux City, Iowa, stabbed a priest to death on Sunday this Sunday, early in the morning. The guy's name was Father Stephen Gutzel. Gutzel? Uh, says he was, quote-unquote, assaulted during an invasion of the rectory. The rectory is where priests lives, if you guys don't know. At St. John the Baptist Parish in Fort Calhoun, early Sunday morning, I was released in a statement by the Archdiocese of Omaha. Says he was transported to Nebraska Medicine. I guess that's the hospital there where he died of his injuries. The Washington County Sheriff's Office is investigating it. There's no further details this time. And they asked for prayers for the repose of his soul. So that's kind of interesting. 
it's interesting to note that that the uh, the victim was also oh they did kind of casually mention it here it says in addition the victim in this case the the priest who was stabbed to death has also been the subject of significant local controversies and once admitted to a large scale financial theft now that was at least touched on so I think that's fair. Um, the actual sort of details of it, we're going to cover on in one, one more second because I think it's worth looking at. But moreover, I want you guys to consider the fact that there's almost nothing, there's almost nothing about the person who killed him. We don't know his story. We don't know if he had previous convictions. All I know is that he's 43 and his name, which is Kira, Will, uh, Kira Williams, which we'll show him in a second. Uh, no indication if it was an anti-Catholic motivation, if he was just a, a, a thief who ended up stabbing someone to death in the middle of the night. Uh, the the t- attack happened somewhere between 4 and 5 a.m., something like that. And, of course, if you follow Catholic Vote, you know they have a thing called the Catholic Accountability Project where they've been documenting all these attacks on pro-life properties and Catholic churches since 2020. We saw this dramatic rise. Once again, it's about free speech, except when you have some opinions we don't like, like particularly religion. Uh, it's You're free to speak and go out and protest and burn things and have all your thoughts. But, um, but you're not free to have a Catholic church and have the FACE Act set up. There's all kinds of pro-abortion things that are being written on. These are all sort of like in the Dobbs decision uh, wake. But let's pull up that uh, that article from the New York Post. This is kind of our last little thing here. This is what I found interesting. When you even look, like the New York Post, even though they are generally conservative, and I think it's worth noting that they do a great job covering a lot of stories, they also, I don't know if it's a bias or if it's just because it's most interesting because it's the most salacious stuff. They talk about how the Catholic priest, he's in a small city, et cetera, fatally knifed by this subject who broke in. Good for them. If you scroll down, we can actually see. Um, are you able to pull that uh, that actual web page up, Ryan? Because we can actually see the, the subject who, like I said. 100%. Give me 10 seconds. Yep, no big deal. So he's a skinny black guy, uh, and this they've got his mugshot here, 43 years old, et cetera. But what was interesting is they honed in on that financial fraud that you heard about, that Catholic vote very, very briefly covered. And it says more than a decade ago, Father Gutzko pled guilty to theft by deception in 2007. Uh, keep scrolling down if you would. That's the guy. So there, there's the subject. It's just worth pointing both out. This is the look. So is this a hate crime? Because I know if it was the other way around, we would assume. Imagine, uh, scroll back up. Let's show the priest. Imagine this this white guy breaks in to a black church in anywhere and stabs to death a pastor who looks down like the subject. Kind of interesting. I don't know. I'm sure our Justice Department would be all over that. But uh, I don't hear the FBI. I don't see pictures of the FBI. I see sheriff's departments investigating it. So maybe not a hate crime, even though it's at a Catholic church. Kind of interesting. Uh, the story is, is that the, the priest, though, actually pled guilty to a $127,000 fraud. Deception. It was a theft by deception or a fraud case. And that he was sentenced to probation and restitution. He had to you know make up the money. And he stole it from an area church, no less. So that's interesting to note that it is covered a little bit longer form. Like I said, you pick your news outlet, you pick the news you're going to get, and you're going to pick the depth of coverage and what they're going to do. In this case, I think that is interesting. It's totally irrelevant for the reason that he was stabbed to death. If he made his peace with God and and uh, and his community and they were okay with him, I don't think it's any of our damn business. But that's the way it gets covered. And so we should at least cover all the facts. Who knows what sort of weird things may have been involved. Uh, I, don't, I don't assume any more than that. But I, what I don't see is the FBI. And that's the real thing for me. For hate crimes mattering and the free speech mattering and protection of the First Amendment supposed to be mattering, you don't see our federal law enforcement stepping into that one. To me, that's a little 
problematic. Let's go ahead and say thanks to the folks that are out there supporting the show. Let's do one more too. Let's also throw up. You want to throw up uh, the my pillow? I think we could do that real quick. If you guys want to do it, I saw a number of you guys used our pillow code. I get an update every week. Um, Mike Lindell's people send us a, a quick update. You can go to mypillow.com/kyle, which is nice that there's not another Kyle promo code being used. It's just ours. So if you want to use promo code Kyle K Y L E, saves you all the same deals you'd get anywhere else. I just had one of you tell me how much you loved the, the my pillow 2.0. I may have to give it another look. I used the 1.0, folks, and I sent it back. It wasn't my jam, but uh, I do know my folks like their sheets. I know Ryan is out there doing construction, wearing their freaking pillow, uh, their oh, uh, yeah. my pillow slippers. He's doing. And you can wash them. He's doing drywall. I'm wash today. He's doing drywall <laughs> teardowns and uh, and mudding and stuff in his new house and working on it that way. So you guys can check out those. Those deals are right now. It's uh, 50 bucks, just under 50 dollars with the promo code K Y L E. Check out the my pillow if you guys want to support Mike and uh, all the many products in there, and many of you do. My wife is always like, how many people need sheets? I'm like, I don't know. People buy them all the time. You might as well use them. All right. Um, let's say thanks to our Rumble rants that were on there. I saw a couple of them come up. You want to throw them on? There's one from Chad Zodi. He says, the FBI hooked their credibility to Morning Joe types. Ain't that the case? They really did. Yeah, they really sort of uh, fudged that by by hooking their wagons up to people that have lost all their credibility in the mainstream media. And uh, that's, I guess, the good news why uh, people like Tucker Carlson are out there. Uh, Tack P still giving us his MRE rants and uh, drag shows and story hours are satanic indoctrination. Possibly. that I, Look, I defend their right to speak and say horrible things. It's just not in front of kids. You don't get a right to pick your audience. That's the really funny thing about free speech. If your free speech sucks, you're going to be by yourself in a park corner just yelling to nobody. And that's actually what's supposed to happen. They actually have a thing called Speaker's Corner in London. If you go into downtown London, you go in there and... Um, yeah, you can literally try to gather an audience, but nobody has to listen to you. They can just walk by you, and eventually you might just quit because nobody cares. So that's kind of the way it's supposed to work uh, when they start telling you that you must have it. If you want a captive audience, I think it was mentioned in the chat here. I saw it scroll by really quickly. Go to a nursing home. Do you know who has time all day long to watch your weird drag performances? People in nursing homes. And pretty old, demented guys who can't tell the difference might really get excited about it. It's not about that. It's always about going after your kids, which we've done entire shows on. So you guys know what I'm talking about here. Good point. Um, let's uh, let's say thanks to our five-star review of the day. Folks, if you want to go to Apple and you watch us, or you listen to us rather, on the Apple Podcast app, you can always leave us a five-star review there, like this one from SnakeMo, lent uh, just a couple, what, about a week and a half ago. It says, dude, five-star, great podcast today. First heard Kyle on Dan Bongino's show. And like Dan, Kyle's using his expertise and connections to give us the truth. Um, we're just trying to claw back the truth, I think. But I really do appreciate that, Snake Mo. Thanks for watching us. Like so many of you, uh, Dan Bongino fans. Also, I'm a Dan Bongino fan. I watch Dan Bongino when I'm on a spin bike, which I do sometimes because my, my knees may hurt because I'm too heavy to be running as much as I do. And uh, I like listening to Dan. It's like listening to my friend who's also as angry as I am. Isn't that, isn't that the way it works? just got like your buddy from New York. You guys have any other buddies from New York? I have a great picture, by the way, of Dan. He went up to an area called Nyack and he went to a local bookstore and my best buddy who sounds like Dan and kind of is built like Dan and thinks about the world like Dan and is from New York like Dan. Um, the two of them are, are like shaking hands and it's like my favorite picture. It just got sent over my buddy, uh, Charlie Ray. So anyhow, folks, we appreciate it. That's our show for today. I hope you guys are being safe out there. I hope you're watching your money, and I hope you're watching that they are trying to uh, shut down your speech. Hopefully, it flowed out okay on Rumble, but be here on Rumble, rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Support your shows on Rumble because they are coming after you. And like I said, if they've picked it as a problem, you know who you need to be defending, and we need to defend Rumble 
And, uh, and Chris, like I say, hopefully he'll come on the show here too. So thanks so much for joining us today. God bless you all. I will see you again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.